0: Well, when we think of Christmas, there's just a number of different thoughts and images that come uh, to our minds. Sometimes uh, people begin to think uh, about uh, family and friends and the time spent with them around this time of season. Uh, some people begin to think of all the festivities and the food and the, and the fun that is unique to this uh, time of year. And still others, uh, when they think of Christmas, they think of giving, both the, the receiving of gifts and the giving of gifts. Now, what I would hope for for all of us who are in here is that when we hear Christmas or think about Christmas, that the, the primary idea that would come to our mind would be thoughts of Christ. That would be Thoughts of Jesus coming from heaven to earth as a baby being born in Bethlehem. I, I would hope that that would be the case. But I do know this of all the different ideas that would come to all of our different minds in light of Christmas, I doubt if any of us uh, think about the, the truth of humility when we hear the word Christmas. Humility. Now, now, the reason I say that is even though we don't think about that, really Christmas is really the ultimate example of what true humility looks like. I think this was on the mind and the heart of Paul when he wrote this passage that we're studying this morning in Acts chapter, uh, or excuse me, in Philippians chapter 2. Um, there in the beginning of the chapter, he, he tells the people that he was writing to, he tells them to have one mind. In other words, he's encouraging them to be unified one with another. But you guys know as well as I do, uh, that is easier said than done. Would you agree? Uh, especially with people who have a tendency, uh, great tendency, to be self-centered. It's hard to be unified when everybody's looking after their own needs and their own wants in, in trying to get their own way. If they do, they don't really have a whole lot of time for anybody else to meet anyone else's needs. Now, Paul understood this. And so what he understood is the only way that they would ever be able to be unified with each other. And if he could get them there, then what it would mean is that they would begin to look at others as more important than themselves. And it would also get them to begin to serve and to help one another, those that are around them. But he knew that, again, this is difficult, not only um, because of our own self-centeredness, but also because we lack a good example. In other words, when you look around the world, it's hard to find many people really living true, authentic, humble lives. So he knew, though, that an example would be absolutely imperative if they were going to learn to emulate this type of humility. So what he does is he goes to the greatest example of humility he can. He goes and he speaks of the birth of Christ, the, the, the reality of Christ coming from heaven coming to earth. And in Paul's opinion, it's the greatest illustration of what humility looks like. And so what we're going to do is, is we're not even going to take much time. How, how, that's my gift to you, all right, is a, is a shorter message, right? I, I think, I, I hope. Um, it's going to be shorter, but what I want to do for you this morning is show you kind of through the text just exactly how it is that Jesus coming demonstrated his ultimate Humility. It showed it in three ways. First of all, it was demonstrated in what he gave up, and what he gave up. Notice, if you will, beginning in verse five. Follow along, if you will. The Bible says, "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." So Paul is basically just simply saying, "Hey, listen, have the same mindset as as, as Jesus Christ. You know, the one that you're following." He says, "He says, have the same attitude that was found in Him when." when what? He says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, that's a theological mouthful right there, that, that sentence. So, let me kind of break it down for you just as simply as I can. Uh, when he says that he, meaning Jesus, was in the form of God, uh, that word, that, that, that specific word form literally means, uh, it, it speaks of an outward appearance consisted what, with what is true in other words uh, jesus existed in the form of god before uh, for all eternity before he found himself in the form of a baby in the form of a child there in jerusalem or excuse me there in bethlehem for him being born now that's important why because i think in this time of season when, when we're thinking about the birth of christ i think it's easy to inadvertently forget who jesus truly is and we get we forget it because we get wrapped up in the manger. Anybody at home have manger scenes? Uh, We have manger scenes. I have this really beautiful carved wood manger scene that I got from Israel when I was over there doing kind of a youth camp. And and I brought it back. And and every year, the only thing I really want to see is that nativity scene up on the entertainment scene. I don't know. There's something about it that I love. I've had it for like 20 years. I I don't even have a lot of things like that, but I like it. And, And this year, I noticed that the wise men are missing. Uh, Somehow they got lost over the last year, and and they're gone. And I told my wife in the first service, I noticed that they were gone. She didn't slip that. She didn't get away with that. And so I noticed they were gone. And and when we look at these nativity scenes, we see the sweet baby Jesus, right? There he is all wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. And there's proud mama and stepdad Joseph looking down at at this son. And you think of the animals, and and you think of the wise men coming and hearing and, and trying to come and bring him gold. Uh, frankincense and myrrh, and, and we think of Jesus as a baby. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can begin to think that this was the beginning, that this is when Jesus came about. And what Paul is letting us know is that couldn't be further from the truth because this baby that was born on that day that, that we see uh, he, he actually had a, a past, a, a long past. He existed from eternity's past in the very form of God. Um, this is this is how John says it. I love it. He, he, he uses the word term for Jesus, and, and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and then, no, the Word was God. And so you could take That that term word out and put Jesus and he would simply mean this in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter one in verse three. He says he says that Jesus was the very imprint of the invisible God. Um, then Paul goes on again in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He takes it even a step further and he reminds us that he was not only from eternity's past and he was not only God, but he, but, but he created all things. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So let's break this down. Who this Jesus is that is born on this day. He is an eternal uh, a being. He is eternal God. He, he dwelt within the form of God from eternities past. Okay, and, and he has created all things. Uh, it, so everything, you, me, uh, uh, this world, everything within it was created by him. And note this, for him for his specific glory. Now, that is an impressive resume, is it not? All right, so what's your resume? Well, I've lived forever. Well, who are you? Well, I'm God. What have you done? Well, I've made the whole world, okay? It doesn't get much better than that, but notice this, but he says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, what he means here is that though he was equally God because he was God, He never, not even once, held on to his rights and his privileges for his own selfish purposes. He never held on to them. We see this very clear in his ministry. Maybe you remember a couple of these times. Jesus uh, has not eaten for 40 days. He's being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. He's at the point of death. Look, many of us, we can't go 40 minutes without feeling faint from food, right? He goes 40 days without food. He is to the point, not of being faint, but of dying at this particular point. The devil comes to him, knows how to get him. He's trying to trick him. And he says, hey, listen, see the stones over there? He says, if you're God, go ahead and turn them into bread. And, and he, he doesn't. Now, here's what's interesting. He can. And he has the right to. I mean, he, he's the one who made the stones, right? He could do with the stones whatever he wants to do with it. If, if he's the creator, if he's the, the owner, and he's made something, he could do whatever. He could have taken the stones, turned them to bread. He could have turned them into double cheeseburgers, right? Turned them to unicorns. He could turn them into anything he wants to because he has the right and the ability and the power to be able to do it. But he doesn't do it because he doesn't use his rights for his own selfish purposes. Instead... What does he do? He uses them for the benefit of other people. Now, in the beginning couple of chapters in, in the book of Mark, thousands of people are around Jesus, thousands, pouring out for him to teach. And they're way out in the middle of nowhere, and there's no time to be able to get any food. There's no jiffy stores to get a hot dog, praise God. And, uh, and so they're, 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 they're sitting there, and, and he's teaching, and the Bible says that he had compassion on them with a, like sheep without a shepherd. And he says, what food do we have? And a little boy's got two fish and five loaves. And he takes it and he uses his authority and he uses his power to multiply it so that over twenty thousand people are fed and satisfied with twelve baskets left over. I mean, this is this is the kind of humble God that we serve, right? We we see another picture of it when he's on the cross. He's on the cross and people are, are spitting on him and they're they're shouting at him and they say, "Hey, if you are who you say that you are, come on down to the cross." And in in Jesus' response is. Very clearly, he says in Matthew 26 verse 53, he said that he had the right to call 12 legions of angels to come. And here's the point, could have come not only got him off the cross, but would have wiped out all of those that were spitting on him and and saying all kinds of wickedness about him and were crucifying him. So what does he do? He has the right, he has the power, he doesn't do it, he restrains himself. He doesn't cling to those rights. Why? For the betterment of those, even those who are shouting and cursing and crucifying him. What an incredibly humble savior and illustration this man is, especially because he stands in such contradiction in contrast to sinful, wicked man, does he not? Uh, we are people that love our rights. You hear people talk all the time, my rights! People all the time, you're sitting in their marriage counseling and you're like, hey man, you gotta make this work, but I got a right to be happy. You know, and everything. Well, where's that in the word? You know, you always want to kind of begin there. But we are like rights crazy. You know, we live in a country. Whole country was founded on rights. Nothing wrong with that. I praise God for it. Uh, it was the whole country was based on inalienable rights. We're champion civil rights. We get angry when the government takes away our rights. Uh, even, even if we get arrested, we demand that we're read our Miranda rights, right? I mean, it's, it's like, hey, listen, we, 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 we're, we, we're crazy about rights. We have our rights. We want our rights. And the reason that we cling to these is because it always helps us, right? We're, we're in a point of distress. And if we have rights, that rights kind of picks us up out of the trouble that we are. And it gets us in a better position. And what incredible contrast it is that sinful man is always grasping for rights. In fact, we're oftentimes even grasping for rights that aren't even our own. Did did you notice that? For example, uh, Adam and Eve, clear example, I think. uh, They are in the garden, and they are clinging on to rights that are not theirs. What, What are they clinging to? They're trying to grab the right to determine for their own life what is right and wrong. But it's not that their right to have. It's only God's and God's alone. Only God can determine for his creation what is right and what is wrong. But there's man. Sure enough, he wants his rights. He's even clinging to rights that are not his. But then on the other side, we have Son of God who has existed from eternity's past, who has made all things, but yet he doesn't use them for his own good. He sets them apart for the good of those who would kill him. Amazing humility. Now notice the second thing that he did. The first thing we see in the scriptures is that he gave up. What did he give up? He gave up his rights. The second thing that he gave up, or the second thing he did was he sank low. He sank low. Now notice, if you will, in verse 7, the Bible says, but he made made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now the obvious question here is is what does it mean when it says that he made himself nothing? Well, some of your Bibles might have a little bit different translation. Your translation may say that he emptied himself. I really like that translation. Because here's what he did. What was he emptying emptying himself from? He was emptying himself of the high position of the rank and the privilege of being God. How? By becoming a man. So get this. He was in the form of God from eternity's past. And then at one point in time, the Bible calls it in the fullness of time. We call it Christmas Day. At that particular moment, what does he do? He takes on the form of man. This is, this is, um, uh, this is amazing to me because you have to stop. Do you, do you realize what a far drop that is, right? I mean, from going from God to being man is a huge gap. You guys with me? Okay, I mean, big gap, huge, infinitely great expanse, God, man, this is the leap that he takes. Now, important theological side note, understand this. He's not giving up his divinity. He's not somehow becoming un-God. He's, he's not doing that. He's just existing in the form of God. Now he's, he's taking on humanity. So it's not an issue of subtraction, but an issue of addition. So now this God, God is now fully God and fully man, and he will be so forever. This is the miracle of Christmas. This is the miracle of the incarnation. This is Emmanuel. This is God with Now, notice what Paul continues with. He says, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So look, we all agree, huge drop from being God to becoming man. Yes, but he doesn't just become any man. He becomes a lowly man, the lowest of the low, because the scriptures tell us that he was born in humble conditions. Now, he could have been born rich, but was he born rich? No, he was born what? poor, impoverished. Uh, The Bible tells us very clearly that he wasn't born at the Ritz. You guys get that, right? Because y'all stay at the Ritz. I know you do, all right? Stay at the Ritz, stay at the Hilton. Where is Jesus born? He's born in a stable. And let's not even for a moment begin to romanticize a stable. Any people that romanticize a stable, like on a postcard, are people who haven't been to a stable. You, you, You with me? When I was up in Montana a little while ago, I was with Nathan Pittman. He's got some some church members that own a dairy. You know what that is? There's cows at dairies, right? So I, I go in, and before we go in, he goes, hey man, he goes, You okay with smells, strong smells? I'm like, I'm a father of five, dude. All right, I've got funky smells you've never even smelt before. All right. And and he I'm like, I'm fine. I was completely wrong. I went into that stable and my face began to melt. I mean, it was that bad. It was I left. The cows didn't smell like me. I smelt like the cows for like the next week. I kept smelling my, oh man, I smell like, that was like a week ago. And he goes, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty, yeah, it's bad. So understand this, Jesus Christ, God, pre-existing from all eternity in the form of God becomes man and he's born in a stable filled with the stench of animal dung. Pretty low. And it doesn't even get much better for him. Uh, later on in his life, he'll say in, in the book of Luke nine fifty eight. 58, he says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He could have been born rich, but he didn't. He chose to be the poorest of the poor. He, he, he was a lowly man. He was born in humble condi- conditions, but he was also born. He, he, was, he chose a humble position. You know, he could have come as a rock star. He could have come as a king. He could have come as a potentate. He could have come as a, as a baseball star, whatever it is, where, where people would have loved him and be able to adore him. But you know how he comes? He chooses to come as what? As a servant. As a servant. The Bible says that he was a bond servant. So even in his coming, he chooses not even to... Look, he's not like you and I where we say, hey, listen, uh, what are you going to do this weekend? Well, we're really going to rough it. We're going to go out into the woods and we're going to camp and we go in an RV, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of... No, he says, I'm going to earth... And I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to live in it. I'm going to be a part of it. And what I'm going to do is I'm not going to go where other people are going to serve me. I'm going to ultimately serve them. Guys, this is complete contrast from me and you. Now, we may be redeemed and we may receive a gift of service and we ought to grow in our service. But our flesh doesn't like serving. Yes? Are you guys with me? Because even if we do serve a lot, we're doing it for our selfish gains. That's why we get mad when other people don't serve us. Have you ever feel that way? And I've been serving, working my tail off. And what's going on here? Nobody's serving me. You get so angry. The Martha syndrome. But we want to ultimately be served. Uh, we know that here at church that folks really don't like to serve all the time. Some people do. Regenerate people do. But sometimes you just ask somebody to serve. And they're like, hey, man, you mind if I get back with you that, on that? Yeah. Okay, we'll talk to you later about that. Right? And you're like, wow, this doesn't come natural. So here we are. Listen. Here we are, sinful beings placed on this earth. And there's a desire for us to think that everything should revolve around us and we should be served. Here is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He comes and he says, it all revolves around me, but I'd rather serve than to be served. Amazing humility. What did he do? Well, his, his, his humility is demonstrated in what he gave up. His humility was demonstrated in the fact that he sank low. And finally, we're here in the fact, we, we see his humility in, in the fact of that, he, that he gave all. Notice what the Bible says, and it says, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even, dead of the, uh, even the death on the cross. After what we just studied, one would have to wonder if Christ had hit rock bottom in his humility, if he could have sunk any lower, right? I mean, he, he has all the rights, follow with me, he has all the rights of God, preexistent God, he has all the rights, sets them aside, big drop, Drops even further, becomes man. Drops even further, becomes a servant, a poor servant at that. One wonders if he can go any lower. Christ goes even lower. He goes even lower. He said, how, good is he? how far does he go? He goes to the grave. The Bible says that he became obedient to death, even to the point of death on the cross. He, he, he sinks even lower in his humility. You know, it, it, it's interesting to me because uh, we're willing to serve people and we're willing to do it, but that serving usually comes after we have served ourselves, and we have a little bit of time left over. And we're willing to serve oftentimes, except uh, unless it costs us too much, right? So, so somebody comes up to you and say, hey, do you mind uh, helping, you know, with, with, with the ushering? And, and it's always funny to me. People are like, well, you know, basically, what does that all entail? In other words, what is it going to cost me? What is it going to cost me to pass an offering plate? And, I, and that's always interesting to me. I'm like, about 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, it's literally, you're going to walk down, you're going to pass a, a plate. Not that big of a deal. Jesus died on the cross. You can pass a plate, all right? Sorry, sometimes that comes out in me in the most uh, unopportune times. But, but you're with me, right? Uh, it's, it's not going to take long. So what we're doing, we're willing to serve as long as it doesn't cost too much. Jesus says, not only am I going to be a servant, but I'm going to pay it all. I'm going to sacrifice it all. I'm going to give you all of me. I'm going to give you my very life. This is the servant that we're talking about. And I think it's important for you and I to remember that Jesus Christ wasn't some type of martyr. He wasn't some type of martyr, some good man. in in, 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 in the pagan world would say, oh, well, yeah, he was a martyr. He he died for his beliefs. No, 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 no. See, a martyr's life is taken from them. Jesus stood for what he knew was true, but his life wasn't taken from him. He freely gave it. The father didn't take it. The Jews didn't take it. The Romans didn't take it. You didn't take it. I didn't take it. He freely laid it down. The scriptures tell us in John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said himself, he says, no one takes it from me. He says, but I lay it down for my own accord. All right, we're on the home stretch. We're almost ready to end. And you survived all of that. Can you imagine that? What I want to do is I just want to make much of Christ. As a pastor, when I look at this text, Uh, What what keeps coming back to me is my application, application, application. Give us the application. How are we going to apply this? But every time I begin to think of the application, I think there's a lot of application here. You know, we could sit back and we could talk about husbands and wives and how they're not getting along with each other. And really what they do is even though they have rights within the marriage, they need to lay those rights aside for the love of each other. I mean, we, we could talk about that, right? Uh, we, we could talk about how some of us need to become more servants, both in the church and maybe in the marriage as well, and, and, and to be able to serve other people, to be able to be more like Christ. That would be a, be a great point of application. You know, we we could talk about sacrificing, and sacrificing our all as Christ sacrificed, and and what is it that you're sacrificing for the kingdom? We could do all that. But but I got to tell you, all of that just seemed to just kind of miss the point of the text. It's kind of robbed it of its glory and and it's beauty. I, I think there is a call of, of application for humility and to be humble. But here's what I think it is. I don't think it's so much about your marriage or about your serving or about your sacrificing. I think what it is, 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 is this, is your humility in the bending of a knee before Christ. Let, let, me, let me explain. He says in verse 9, notice. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you how these messages usually end and Christmas services are happening all over the place like this. Here, here, here's the response. They're gonna ask you, have you ever asked Jesus Christ into your heart? It's how these messages end. Other people will say, "Hey, man, do you truly believe in Jesus?" And here, look, we're in the South. Everybody's asked Jesus in the God-sized hole of their heart. Everybody believes in Jesus. Yeah, we're all we're all good and everything. Here's here's I think what the text is asking. The question that the text is asking is, "Have you bent your knee in full submission to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords?" That's a completely different way to talk about this salvation thing, isn't it? Because I know tons of people who say that they're saved. They say that they're born again. But the truth of the matter, the evidence is that they do not know him. You know why? They've never bent a knee to him. They've never humbled themselves to him. The Bible says that he has a name above every name. That every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Which means you either do it willfully or you will be made to do it one day. And so what salvation is, just maybe I can clear it up for you today. You're here and you're like, hey, well, we're Christians. We're, we, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for us. It's, 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 it's more than that, man. I'm not trying to make the gospel uh, uh, difficult, but what I'm saying is, if you believe in it, then you yield yourself in humility to his lordship in your life. So here's the question that I ask. Not do you believe, but do you believe to the point that you've submitted humbly before him to his lordship? Can you look at your life and say, yeah, my life, God, I've humbled myself before him. Why? Because I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I've sinned against him and I know that I'm not worthy of him. But but I know in my heart of hearts that he died on the cross for me. And the only way to receive that eternal life is for me to come and admit who I am, admit what I've done and say, God, not only am I a sinner, but I'm giving you my whole life. Do you see that? That's the distinction. We have people all over Nassau County, all over Florida, all over the United States that are meeting on this Christmas Sunday, and they're sitting there going, hey, I'm good with God, I believe. The Bible says, but have you knelt? Have you humbled yourself in full submission to Christ? That's what true faith is. That's what salvation is. We're going to pray. Ashley's going to come at this time. And we're going to just have a time of response.